Well, hey, welcome, folks. This is Vin Zeeland, and I am the founder of The Culture Strategy. Today, I have an awesome guest from Omaha, Nebraska. Is that correct? That's correct. Omaha, All right. Nebraska, right in the middle. Tre Trevor Shade is a culture strategist. He is a real estate leader. And we're going to talk today about the importance of culture. The reason why I took interest in Trevor's work is because he founded and built a business on culture, not on operations, not on processes and procedures, though he does utilize that. He built a business on culture. So Trevor, I want to welcome you to the Culture Strategy. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. I really appreciate you inviting me on. I'm uh, looking forward to it, having some fun today. And yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be a good time. I'm uh, I'm excited to see what kind of what kind of dynamics we bounce off of one another. It's gonna be great. Yeah, awesome. So you're a you're a fellow ENFJ. You're like a, a assessment taker. Yes. And uh, that 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 cracked me up when we were texting back and forth, and you're just like, yeah, I have you know all kinds of assessments I can send to you, but there's yeah. two of them that I love. I love to use the uh, Gallup Clifton Strengths, the Strength Finder. But I also love to use the Myers-Briggs. Uh, just gives me a little bit of um, understanding of the inside of the person. And uh, so I, I feel like I understand you fairly well. Um, yeah. Pretty awesome. You have some great strengths. Why don't you go ahead and begin there? Why did you choose to use uh, Gallup, first of all? Sure. Yeah, I felt like... Um... Uh, my, my early twenties, I was starting, uh, starting companies and honestly about everything I touched in my twenties failed. Um, but while in that I dove into some low grade, lightweight psychology books and a lot of more of these different kind of, uh, personality temperaments and, um, and gifts and strengths and things like that. Um, as I went down and a lot of companies try to build a culture on the quadrant style, anything that has the four, the Myers-Briggs and, and, uh, disc and several others. And, uh, and, and I think they're great. And I think there's a huge advantage to being able to teach your entire culture only four. And that's all anyone has to know to be able to kind of find some kind of footing to sort of relate. Now, what I liked about Gallup and their strength system was, I mean, it was in the thirties, right? The number of strengths and they've added maybe one or two over the decades. Um, and it, it had a different spin on it. It was all about, if you could figure out how to look at your top five strengths and live and breathe those in your leisure, in your relationship with a partner, your relationship with your kids, in your job, if you could just live and breathe just your strengths, you would at the end of the day be more rested and more energized than you were when you woke up that morning. And I thought, well, that's just a better way to live and who wouldn't want to feel, even if they didn't know that that's what was causing it, they would now get to live and experience that on a daily basis. I just love the philosophy behind it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was, uh, I was doing the same thing. I went through my undergrad in psychology and I noticed that there was all this, especially in the mental health field, right? In, the, in that sphere of uh, what's wrong with you? It's, it's always, you know, yeah. let's, let's find what's wrong with you. But I really resonated with the idea of, Hey, what's right with you? What's good about yeah. you? Where's your superpower? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, and when I was, and when I was eight years old, my sister, Brandy Shade runs a, she, she now runs Strengthsology Insights. Uh, she, which is a Gallup, Gallup Strengths uh, infused uh, company and, and utilizes all of that. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she used to call, I was eight years old. And I think that was the first time she called me ambitiously lazy. She said, <laughs> you will outwork anyone so that you don't have to work. And then I learned things about like smarter, not harder, and all of these lean six sigma different programs that are actually talking about the 80-20 rule and all of this. And I'm like, I was just ahead of my time. That's all. I was eight years old and I had it. I, I just I had it. And uh, now I've got the now I've got the terms that go with it to justify my actions. Um, but that was one of the things that I saw that Gallup was really doing is if you could take somebody's nature and have them operate in something that is so just part of their identity, something that is so innate to their subconscious that they don't know how they do it. They couldn't teach it if they tried. Right. And if they just were involved in only that, they're going to outperform anyone trying to compete with them, getting a job against them, or just being creative and creating something that's actually engaging or inspiring to others. No one can touch and compete with somebody that's born with that natural ability. And they could go work their guts out on their bottom five strength stuffs and they're going to be daunted on the front end and exhausted on the back end right or they could just operate in that space and then someone else could operate in their strengths and all of a sudden you could piece it together and everybody's just at i mean outrageous output and they don't even feel like they're at out outrageous output yeah so with that we we had a conversation. Brandy introduced me to you. Uh, love Brandy. Uh, you have an amazing sister. She has an amazing product, a yep. great service, just really a dynamic person. Uh, she's actually a, a guest on this program, uh, have been on her show a few times, uh, just watching and observing, but I've also been interviewed by her. She's just really fascinating um, as a as a someone who is mathematically inclined and, and is somehow ended up in this sphere. So yeah. my understanding is you introduced that to her, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to talk with you about your business because most businesses begin and start on, oh my gosh, we've got to get our numbers, our KPIs. We, we've got to have a spreadsheet and we've got to have this and that. We got to meet all these metrics. Yeah. But you took a different route. And let's talk about the difference between a culture strengths based company versus an operational minded and mindset company that's using those KPIs and metrics. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So my, uh, my background, um, I've been writing computer code since I was in fifth grade. So I was a very linear thinker and I was very data oriented myself. Um, that turned into getting a lean six Sigma black belt certification. And I started doing statistical analytics and I started doing, uh, operations co consultations and talking about, uh, when will your ROI be experienced and, many other terms that are way too long and I didn't even fit into saying them. And uh, I, I got to visit all these dashboards and I got to see all these KPIs and I got to hear all of these management teams talk about what they then would do with their KPIs. And it was interesting, my role started becoming eliminating people's KPIs because 
they were mostly neat. And I don't do neat. If something is neat and that's the end of it, there's no action. So why look at it? Why learn? Why observe? And so the KPIs were interesting to me and I, I, I can do the big data, but the, what I watched was I, 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 I saw people in the workplaces at these companies doing the same thing that I'd found myself do a couple of times in high school and college. I think we've all had, uh, I mean, have, have you, have you had a, a project when you were in high school, college that uh, you just got strangely neurotic about and you're up till three in the morning overproducing more than what the, 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 the was required. Have you yeah. had a project like that? Yeah. 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 Right. Of course I'm, I'm working on, I'm just about at the tail end of my master's degree. Yeah. And yeah. I have learned not to be neurotic about projects. Yeah. It's just do what is stated, what mm -hmm. is asked of you, what's in yep. the rubric. Yeah. And, yeah. and don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's even, in fact, it's part of lean and one of the nine kinds of waste that you eliminate. It's the overproducing. If someone can only recognize this, well, sure, produce one notch above, but don't produce what you're capable of. Just exceed and call it a day and move on to something else. And that's more productive. Yeah. Um, so yes, right on. So we've all had those projects. We've all had those moments. And I started turning that neuroses into defining it as being inspired. You know, let's say it is truly a worthwhile use of time and it is something that somebody really wants to produce. Well, I was, I saw, you know, if I just figured out how other people were inspired and I created an opportunity that they could choose to step into that or not, I could use their strengths to create an atmosphere of the work that needs done is their love and their passion and their nature. And they became inspired every single time they would beyond outproduce any KPI expectation I could put on them. And so I realized I'll, I have some reports and I glance at them just to be, just to, to keep a beat on the business and, and, and make sure I know where we're at and do I need to adjust anything at a very high level. But when it comes to holding people accountable, I really am just measuring their engagement and their engagement translates into how inspired are they and that translates into how productive are there. And so I feel like the culture needs some KPIs, but I don't know that I necessarily talk about, but maybe four of them with anyone else. Everything else is just for my own top level view. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're an entrepreneur. You started a real estate company. How long ago did you start that company? I was, uh, I started the company nine years ago, but I didn't bring anyone on with me until about five years ago. Okay. Just over about five and a half. Yeah. All right. So statistically mm -hmm. it's about five years, about 80%. We're going to just make it a nice round number. Uh, 80% of all new business startups fail. Yep. And usually there are people who come in, they churn and they burn and they go. And we call that in the business world attrition, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. A uh, lot of startup companies have high attrition. I call it toxicity. It's a toxic culture. Yeah. I, I had this conversation with you and I was just blown away to hear you talk about how you started at zero people. It was just you. Yeah. 
And then you brought on how many agents? Uh, it was about 26 in, uh, in the first five years. Wow. 26. And how many of those people have stayed with you? In the, uh, in the first five years, we had zero attrition. Um, shortly after, uh, there was a group of them that stepped out and, and started their own team and they wanted to work on their own processes and they wanted to have their own flavor. Yeah. But in five years, we never had a single person leave um, in any capacity. And uh, everybody just got to thrive. That's awesome. That's and in awesome. the real estate, in the real estate agent and agent team and agent brokerage uh, specifically, um, I, I think that's incredibly rare. Uh, if anybody listening to the show is in real estate, they've probably seen tons of people switch teams, switch brokerages about every two or three years, maybe four years. If somebody's not hitting their goals, they really start looking for something else and another place to go. Yeah. Um, and I really built our culture thinking about what would it have taken to keep me as part of a real estate team? And I needed no ceilings and I needed uh, freedom, but I needed support. I needed the things handled that were administrative. And that was it. I just started building that team and, uh, and creating a belonging that everybody knew that their style, their gifts, their strengths fit. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just had to learn how. Right. So do you use... Uh... What, or I should say, what tools do you use to help your team uh, congeal, to, to grow together, to uh, be the, the outperforming and outstanding, but not overworked? Um, mm -hmm. Tell us about your team and how you brought that together. That To me, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I, think I took the time to, to build... A relationship with them and and you hear people say that sometimes but i mean i would call them up on a random wednesday and say hey how are you doing do, do you want to grab a beer and i would actually go hang out with them and just it could be 15 minutes it didn't matter but it didn't have a business purpose it just had to be a genuine connection and i shared about me and i and they shared about them and it was just you know i'd talk about what it didn't have to get all deep and, and, you know, I didn't get all kumbaya and like, you know, start up a bonfire every time, just some of the times, uh, yeah. but we got together and we would talk about, you know, what's happening in your life. What's going on? How's business? Cool. How are the kids? Like I actually, one of the things I learned in uh, how to win friends and influence people, Dale Carnegie forever yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, I think it's chapter two. Um, it was take a genuine interest in other people. And I hated that word genuine. First time I read it, I was like, Oh, for the love, can't I just fake having an interest in people. And that's not what the book said. And that is not how it works. You actually have to change your heart and engage. And so I did that. That on a one-on-one -on -one level, let everybody feel that there was at least a connection they could latch onto. Now you asked about what tools. So honestly, I looked at different messaging apps and Slack and uh, I think GroupMe was another one. And WhatsApp ended up being the one I chose because it was the most approachable in feel. It's really against my techie side. I like Slack. I like these, these things that I can automate into. Sure. But the feel became um, a group chat. And so I would have an agent's channel and I would have an entire company channel. And then uh, we, would, uh, we would have different events and I might start another channel for that. I tried to balance it, but Having that channel then let everybody say congratulations on different sales and celebrate success together. 
Okay. I also watched that I'm not necessarily a competitive person. I, I'm, I like to do well. I like to be in the top percents, but I really just like to run my race and enjoy and have some folks run as peers with me. And we, we get to share our stories and learn from each other. It's awesome. But even not necessarily being that competitive person, I was part of a real estate team and they had a dashboard on the TV in the office and it showed these cool little dials and these number of transactions. And I noticed I was even looking at myself and I was looking at the person behind me and the person in front of me. And I was going, Ooh, if I just made one more sale, I'd jump past them. (laughs) even not being competitive. I was watching this. I couldn't believe it. And so I did use a a program and a system called Gecko Board. And we have about three or four of these dashboards now that are just on in the office all the time. And everybody can see where they're at. And only so many fit on the top row. Uh So it's funny. One of the things that came out of the culture organically is people will now kind of chant and cheer and they'll be like, Ooh, I want top row, top row, top row. It became this label to be top row. Top yeah. That's awesome. You just couldn't yeah. help yourself, even though you're not competitive. You just, you yeah. just had to, you had to go for it. And that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. like that approach. Um, that's the whole point of this because over the years I have recognized, I've worked in small businesses where I was a manager, uh, a supervisor, and then I went into corporate training. Um, a lot of my years spent developing leaders in different ways and in different industries, construction, uh, religion. I was a pastor for 20 years, but I'll tell you, culture was something that just kept popping up over and over and over again, listening to people talk about, man, I got to go to work today. You know, I got to, oh, or I've got to go to work. You know, it's that, it's that Sunday dread And, and that, and, uh, you know, that lover boy song, everybody's working for the weekend kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Which I think, you know, we still work for the weekend, but I, I remember never really feeling that way about getting up on Monday morning and going, man, I'm excited about going to work. Yeah. You know, yeah. Knowing it's that ecosystem of self. And I just remember walking into uh, so I worked in real estate, so this is, uh, this is fun, but I remember walking in and the president walking up to me and saying, you're a woo guy. Yeah. And, and I smiled and I said, oh, you've been reading strength finders. And he said, yeah, he said, uh, thanks for opening my eyes to that. Mm, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Once you start seeing it in other people, then you can find that common ground, right? And do life yeah. together and have a good yeah. conversation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, anytime someone joins the team, part of the onboarding process, um, I give them a Gallup Strengths book. Um, we, we actually have another, we have a projector that has the person's face and their five strengths in this big, colorful picture. Okay. Scrolling through each of the people all day, every day on this huge wall. Uh, the idea was to get the projector so we could hook up uh, an Oculus to and have 3D uh, games in the office and whatnot. Oh. But well, while no one's playing, why not have everybody's strengths roll? Well, when I came across, there's another sub book that is called Strengths-Based Selling. 
I give everybody a copy of this so that I buy them a code, they get their five strengths, and then they read this book about how do your strengths fit into selling, I'm going to call it connecting with people. Yeah. Because we teach, if you'll just connect with people, help them with any issues and problems they have, well, then a transaction occurs. And I, I just right. kind of take the selling part out of it because I think the, the skill is not necessary if you just help people instead. And so they get the strengths-based selling book and they get to be liberated all of a sudden. One, they get to be, they, they get to be told, no, as you are in your five strengths, like you are, you are right. You're okay. You, you don't need to fix and change and work on these other things. If you yeah. do, okay. Sure. But so they get liberation one and the number two, it's this is how your strengths connect you with other people. This is how you can actually help guide and lead people through something they're just they're pleading and hoping will show up in their life. And your strengths actually work for that. And here's how, and they get liberation number two. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when it, uh, when it came to your business and you decided to begin with culture and now you've, you've walked us through that, go a little bit deeper in defining what the outcome was for your business. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you also kind of the front end of that. Um, I, I thought about this from a very, uh, numbers standpoint. I told you about the productivity and, uh -huh. and what follows inspiration, yeah. but I also just looked at expenses in general and most businesses, I mean, their number one expense is taxes. Number two is then employees. Well, if number two is employees and staff and salaries and things like that, that said to me that the cost of turnover was ridiculously expensive sure. in comparison to so many other things. And I thought, yeah. if I got that part right, how many other mistakes do I now have the buffer to be able to make in what I spend on marketing and anything of that nature? And so my goal was really, how do I train somebody once and never have to replace them? And that was the, the businessy side of taking the the business from a from a place of, of terror <laughs> and scared yeah. and startup yeah. into all right this at least makes sense numerically also because I really am attacking the the big chunk and and protecting against that monster and then um, to answer your question uh, the the data and the stats um, to give you a, so me personally as a real estate agent so in our market you know maybe a uh, an average sale price of a house is around 240,000, 250,000. Right. And I personally, uh, when I was running as a, as an agent, not running the company, I would, I think I sold upwards of 40 houses a year and, you know, maybe six or 7 million in, in total sales volume wow. and bringing on the agents and letting them honestly engage at whatever level they're engaged in they could now see the path of hanging on to a full-time or part-time job and buffering that risk of their own to start getting their first three or four sales ramped up while they then converted their whole life. They didn't have to be the sharp risk of having six months in savings and start a new venture and hope. Um, now, I like the fire that that does set under someone because you back somebody into a corner, they often fight out of it. Sure. But it, it, there is another option for... Uh, less uh less risk comfortable uh folks they all have they all have a method 
And so, um, risk averse, <laughs> risk. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm like risk. I don't know. It's all about mitigating. If it's mitigated, then it's not even <laughs> risk. And I don't know, maybe that's a, another way of justifying my, yeah. my, and my design. Um, and so the team, as they grew to, to 26 agents, some of them would engage more. And then the next year we had some, we had some agents and a, and a family member went into hospice and they disengaged. Somebody had a baby and they disengaged, but they're still part of the team and they're still producing a few sales here and there when it worked for them. And they knew that they just, they had a place that they could belong. Um, and, you know, that's, that's not able to be done quite as fluidly in every company. I'm very well aware uh, yeah. when you've got, when you've got salaries on the line and you've got benefits on the line, I get it, but there's definitely a way to create the culture that at least helps uptick that, um, that engagement. Yeah. Uh, and so then I, every year we've grown and we've, we've, I think we've increased by, somewhere between 46 and 56% every year, year wow. over year wow. in, in growth. And it's, wow. it's been, it's been a wild ride and it's, you know, it took a lot of technology to hang on to that pace and that growth. Yeah. And certainly that's, I, I don't know that I believe that that's sustainable because obviously as you get bigger, the percentage jump is a whole lot more like I get right. math. And yeah. so I don't expect that to continue indefinitely, but I'll take it in the first five years. Oh yeah, for sure. That to me, that's just speaks of the quality, the added value that you bring to your team and then they reciprocate, right? So the conversation that you and I had on the phone talking about that was, or a Zoom call, I guess we had, um, was that they're loyal to you. And how does that play out? Uh, you know, they're, they're loyal to you. How does that translate into not only your business, but also in your personal life? Because I mean, I know that I've had bosses and managers and other leaders. I have never mm -hmm. really spent an ounce of time with them. I can count on one hand, two mm -hmm. great managers that I absolutely loved and would invite them over for a barbecue. Yeah. But yeah. how does that translate for you in what you've done? Yeah, it's uh it it's it's incredibly humbling for to to not even consider that, not even realize that, not even think of it and then to learn of it later that someone is they're they're sold out to me personally. It's it really it really took me some time to get settled with that because it wasn't it wasn't even a, a thought, total byproduct. Right. And um, and so it's humbling because I feel like it's somebody honestly letting me in and inviting me in into their personal space and their personal world and their and their family stuff that's going on when we could just sell houses. And um and then it I've been told that uh that it's intriguing to watch from the outside because there's 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 blurred gray lines as to am I working or am I playing? Are, are we are we getting together because we're having a meeting or is it because we have three kinds of beer on tap in the office? And <laughs> there's, there's there's a lot of gray lines of this. And so I was even told so we do we do a couple incentives and incentive trips and get togethers and whatnot. And in the way I speak, I don't notice it, but I've been told. I always include the the spouses. Every time I talk about getting together, I'm yeah. like, 
uh, hey, are you and you, are you and your spouse are able to join us? Are, uh, and it's just second nature. I just expect this to be, we all hang out. And I forget that you go to most companies and most atmospheres and it's the staff member, the employee. And then maybe there's one event a year that you get to invite a plus one. And I'm like, hey, we're having a barbecue in the backyard. Uh, who else coming? Are you able to bring your kids? I just sent a message out literally yesterday that was a state park get together. Oh. And it's got bounce houses, kids, all this stuff. It's being sponsored by one of the one of the local um, association of realtors. And I uh, I just posted it out there. I don't even know if my calendar is free to go, but I just threw it in the in our WhatsApp <laughs> channel and I said, anybody feel like doing this? And I had someone speak up and say, yep, I'm taking my youngest. Yep, I was already planning on going. Yep, I could even grab my grandson. And they're just, wow, they're doing things together. Um, I think that honestly came from, I'll tell you, the number one accidental right thing that I think I've ever done. Whole life, everything maybe. This is, this is a big one because it's hard for me to choose favorites. That's uh, just unconditional, right? <laughs> so I launched the team um, as, as, a, as a sub team okay. in September of 2017. And in February of 18, we broke away officially and we were full standalone, full risk, full all our own bills, all that stuff. So 2018, I am absolutely manic and all weekend long. I mean, I remember I would sit from Friday at three until Sunday at 1 a.m. And I would sit on my couch in a nasty t-shirt and a pair of gym shorts. And I would write all these different scripts and all these different automations. And I'd be in Zapier like a crazy person and getting our, our CRM up and running and all this workflows and all this, ooh, which lenders am I going to talk to and build affiliations with? And, oh, how do I build a marketing company that then supports all of this? And I would just be this crazy person every single day, day in, day out. And I was building these processes always. My, my priority litmus test was what puts money in the pockets of the agents. And that's how I decided my priority list. Cause I had, I mean, I had a hundred projects. I had, I think, uh, I think it was 17 major projects and those took me five years to accomplish those 17, no. but it's, and it's hard to see through what should I work on first? And I thought if my real goal is to never have to retrain a person, then how about everything I build always puts money in their pocket or makes them more fulfilled or gives them something legit. And I would know that I need something and I'll squeeze it in. Yeah. But the priority was always theirs. So we get through 2018 and I had told them what I wanted to do was this incentive trip. And Whatever percent of their sales goal that they achieve, I would pay that percent of their team trip. And we would go on a team trip together. Wow. And we got to the end of 2018. And uh, I, was, uh, I was at about a, a minus $108,000 net worth. And I had every credit card maxed out. And I had no idea how we were going to pull off the the next move and phase and survive. It was actually the third week of February of uh, 2019. I remember it very well. Which and, would have been um, a slow month, right? Yes, that's that's going into the winter. So then we're also it's coming out of the slow, in fact, and nothing's ramping up yet. Yeah. So yeah. I I told everyone I said, hey, I don't think 
I, I said, I, I appreciate you sticking with me. This year was creative and I, I'm going to tweak the incentive and I am going to pay a hundred percent of all of your team trips because I think you would have achieved your sales goals had you had the systems that I wanted to be able to provide you. And okay. I wasn't able to get them in place. So I'm going to carry that load. And um, wow. we went to uh, Cancun, Mexico or Playa del Carmen and all inclusive resort, their airfare, their catamaran day, their transportation and uh, their flights were all covered. And I didn't understand that that was going to be the absolute pivotal backbone of everything that we became. And everybody got to play. Everybody got to be in the sun, ride a catamaran around the ocean with their spouses. Oh. Um, they, they did pay for their spouses. Let's, let's clarify that. I paid yeah. for them and they, <laughs> they could, they could chip in and bring their plus one. Like right, right. You know, I had, I had my limits. Um, sure. And that gelled all of us because now we had an adventure that we could refer back to. We could talk about now we even have a TV in the office that scrolls pictures of the team doing fun stuff is what we call it. like, and we have this Google drive and we pour pictures into it and it constantly just cycles through all of the local charity events we've done, all of the uh, client appreciation parties, all the trips we've gone on, all the ax throwing that we've gone and done, like anything that we've done together that was fun or cool, we now just reflect on. And yeah. that one trip really glued the team. The relationships got built at a deeper level. And, um, and then it just turned into being able to stack more on top. Yeah. So that, that brings up a, a good point. A lot of companies, you know, we, we hear about, you know, companies like Google, for instance, you know, uh, and other, you know, progressive uh, type companies that, you know, have pool tables or ping pong tables and yeah. cool, cool couches and coffees and, you know, whatnot. They all, yeah. you know, We'll say, yeah, this is, this is, you know, how we built our culture. But to me, just listening to what you described there, you're not just doing life at work. You're doing life outside of work. You're saying, let's just take a break from this. Let's get together. Let's enjoy life. Most leaders, and I know this for a fact, I've, I've watched it over the years, most leaders would not take on that kind of liability. I have, there are very few that would say, yeah, I'm going to take you. And if you want to invite your plus one, your family will go down to Mexico. Mm -hmm. Like that's, yep. that's really rare. And so folks, I wanted to point out in this first session with, I have a point about all of this, about building your business. Even if you're someone who started a business or you're a, a big corporation, there is a paradigm shift. There is a different way of viewing the world. And it doesn't matter what your strengths are. Uh, you could be, you know, some a high level minded person um, who is just strictly about KPIs and metrics, but if just one little shift, if that one little shift could bring you 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% increase, 
why would I liken it to Trevor and tell me if I'm wrong, why would you leave money on the table? Because I know I, I've talked with CEOs. I've had, mm -hmm. I've had texting uh, back and forth and emails. And one, I, I created a video and I had uh, one CEO that I shared it with. And he wrote me back and he said, on your show, talk about culture because it's so nebulous to guys like me, to, you know, leaders. Tell me, tell me what kind of just one, one piece of advice for those leaders who want to, they know it's the right thing to do. They don't want to do attrition. People hate layoffs. You mm -hmm. know, some companies do it because they're lazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the truth. I've had guests on who've said, you know, I watched other managers just, it was easy to straighten out the budget by laying people off. Right. Tell, tell the audience here, just give them one piece of insight, not advice. I, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think advice is, you know, but a piece of insight, something that will help them change their culture. They know that things are wrong. There's something off what would you tell them? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think for me, the reason that I chose to build culture and belonging before productivity was because I think long-term, I think it can be boiled down to that. So if I'm talking to an incredibly business-minded person, somebody running a company, the short play is productivity. You pay this month's bills because you say you produce sales. Yeah. But the mental shift of what can be created and what you can have long term if you produce a machine, that is a completely different set of options. It's a completely different way of thinking. It's not necessarily the easy road. I mean, I, I told you the the state I was in when I made the decision to take everyone on a trip and pay for the whole thing. Yeah. I increased my risk and I increased my liability and my buy-in and my commitment. And uh, I, I don't know that I would recommend somebody do the same quite to that extent. I think there's other ways that are maybe a little, <laughs> little more balanced, a little softer approach, but we're going to, um, we're going to Whataburger this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Gosh, it was ridiculous. Um, so uh, but I would say that to to somebody that's got that business mind, that business savvy, that that um that numbers approach, that's that's fine and that works. And that, there's a ton of benefit there. I'm a numbers guy, I statistical analytics. But if someone wants to give themselves more options long term, then this is how I believe it's obtainable. I think if I would have built it the other way, I would have always had to be the manager, be the company runner, be the mentor, be the everything for everyone forever, because yeah. I would have been the one driving the productivity. And instead, if I created a machine that didn't require me because the machine was inspired and the machine was self-driven and this and it was internally powered. It's harder. It was a longer path, kinda. Um, but the number of options that open up because of that culture creation, uh, night and day. 
absolutely nine day. I couldn't have, I couldn't have pictured the number of options I would have yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. Now having come on the, the other side of at least the first five years. Yeah. So one of the things that I believe my philosophy is I'm turning a corner in leadership. I mean, of course, be a leader. There's, there is a fine line between being a manager and being a leader, yeah. right? There, it's a fine line. Be the leader. Yeah. Even if you're a manager, yeah. be the leader, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, I agree. And, and there's, there's a definition. I mean, I can manage numbers. I can manage um, Excel spreadsheets and KPIs, but I will tell you, knowing the numbers uh, the statistics that Gallup has put out, people are miserable out there. Mm -hmm. They are miserable. And so my philosophy is, Trevor, 8.9 million managers. I'd like to replace the 120,000 psychologists and psychiatrists out there with 8.9 million coaches and mm -hmm. leaders, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. that we don't have to use a mental health system or at yeah. least sparingly. Yeah. You know. Yeah, sparingly when needed. Yeah, I uh, I've said that for years. It's probably been fifteen or twenty years that I have said I'm actually not a very good manager. Um, I I even used to say I'm a bad manager, and then I learned you know how to speak a little better, <laughs> and yeah. I'm I'm okay. Like I can manage, but I lead is what I do. Yeah, I I coach, I guide, I lift up, I develop. I'll do all those things, but manage, I don't want to create myself another job. I, right. I would rather jump in the mess, honestly lead from behind. I, I'm the one that typically will make sure that I'm always carrying the heaviest load so that if anyone's got guff and gripe, they kind of keep it to themselves because they know I'm carrying a heavier load than they are. And that's where one of those comments came from about, um, about the, the being sold out and loyal to me personally came from is one of those instances where I was carrying the heaviest load and how they yeah. just didn't want me to be carrying the heaviest load. They, they wanted for them to carry the heavier load because they, they didn't want me. They were like defending me against me. It was interesting. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. So folks, yeah, it's humbling. I, well, Trevor, first of all, um, Thank you so much for joining me on the culture strategy. Uh, you and your sister are just dynamic folk, really just love the conversation. And in the future, this is the first podcast that we're going to release. I went through the list of guests and I decided that you were going to be the first one to launch. All right. And the reason why is because you actually built, and Brandy did too, but as Brandy and I just, we, we talked about it and I thought it through, I wanted to make sure that the messaging that leaders, I mean, real estate's a difficult, especially right now, real estate yeah. is really difficult, yeah. uh, having come out of real estate, uh, mm -hmm. taking this new adventure as a consultant. I wanted to bring on somebody who's in that realm, mm -hmm. one of the hardest industries to work in, one of the hardest industries to hold on to people, the turn and the churn 
in real estate is unbelievable. Yeah. But this will tra- this will translate into this messaging here will translate to any business, whether it's technology and you're a technology guy. Yeah. Um, it will translate into factory work and another t- churn and burn is sales and construction. Mm-hmm. All those yeah. industries out there, the backbone, even coffee shops, right? Yeah. You could be any business owner out there. And the reality is we have Trevor Shade right now in the house telling us how he built a business. And it sounds so simple. It sounds, well, relationships. You know, how is that going to stop the bleeding? My my company, we just had to let go of 10,000 people. You know, how do we have 10,000 relationships? Well, you start from the top. And you bring it down through, you filter that down through your people and you send a strong message. This is how we're going to live out our mission, our vision, and our values. And we're going to do this so that we don't have to see families suffer through unemployment and years of drought. Uh, You know, working with each other and helping each other, building up and you know, doing life together, it sounds so, I mean, easy, but you said it, it's a hard road. It's difficult. It's the path that most people don't take. And yet it's the path that worked for you. It can be done in all different ways, but I I really appreciate you coming here and sharing, being vulnerable and telling us how you did it. That's pretty awesome. Oh, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. I, uh, I appreciate you having me in the show. I'm happy to, happy to share and help and in any way, anytime. And uh, Absolutely. If, I, if I come down come down to town, maybe we can jam again. Let's do it. Let, for sure. We'll, uh, we'll sit in the studio in person next time. And uh, so the next, the, so this, um, this first season is all about the seven pillars of culture. The next season, season two, it's already planned, is the five pillars of leadership. And so I would love to bring you in, sit down face-to-face, and let's talk about leadership and what that means and the difference. And we, I know we, you know, we, we kind of touched on it on a high level today, but we can go a little bit deeper next time. And I would yeah. love to have you down. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, folks. Uh, This is Vin Zeeland, my guest, Trevor Shade. He's a real estate guru who's done a lot of cool things with culture and built a dynamic business. And uh, maybe next time we can get into your app that you're building. Yeah, yeah, the app. I've got got two or three of them. One of them's in the investing sector of real estate too. So it's there's there's a lot more we could cover. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much, Trevor. Uh, This is Vin Zeeland. We're signing off from the Culture Strategy. Have yourself a great day. Welcome to Threadpool 
We're an all-inclusive podcast factory. Podcast made easy. We operate with a done-for-you approach. If you have a great podcast concept, we can help make it a reality. In less than eight weeks, we can have your amazing podcast fully produced, making you ready to share your podcast worldwide on all of the major podcast streaming platforms. Book a coaching session to see how we can work with you. We are Threadpool, revealing greatness.